calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is of gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm Lauren Foster, and this is Take 15. On today's show, we're going to explore a fascinating question, and that is, would you take stock picking advice from an AI analyst? And for that, I'm joined by Ken Senna and Brian Healy, the masterminds behind ERA, and that's short for Artificially Intelligent Equity Research Analyst, an adaptive deep learning platform designed to enhance active fundamental investment strategies. It's also the name of a startup founded by Ken, a veteran technology analyst, and Brian, who helped build Amazon's digital assistant, Alexa. Ken is CEO and Brian is CTO. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. So your Wunderkind uh, era is a, a workaholic and a news junkie. Uh, she tracks about half a million documents a day, including video and Twitter, and issues buy, sell, hold recommendations and more than 1,500 stocks. So let's begin at the beginning. Tell us the story of ERA's creation. Um, how did she come into being? And is ERA a physical robot? Sure. So um, about two years ago at Evercore ISI, where I worked at the time, um, I started doing symposiums on AI and really just wanted to invite clients together to understand what were the questions that they should be asking of companies who are talking much more about this topic. And um, as part of that process, I had the opportunity to meet Brian. And um, Brian was working at a travel company focused um, on artificial intelligence. And the, his background prior to that was from Amazon Alexa. So in learning of his, of his experience there um, and, and it, having covered Amazon, I quickly asked Brian if he could um, assist me on a few report ideas I had. Uh, in doing so, the demand I learned from clients was, was such that it, it really re it required him speaking to them directly to get some of the questions answered as opposed to me filtering it. And I think that as we went through that process and ultimately I brought Brian on the road and brought him to you know, a few different cities and we met with a lot of clients, the conversations evolved from just meeting with the analyst and PM to meeting with their data scientist, their head of infrastructure, and really trying to help folks on the buy side think through sort of this you know, looming question that they had, how do they leverage more of these advances that were coming out of platforms like AWS and GCP um, into their workflow processes? And what did it mean for how their fundamental analysts might work with some of their own data scientists and their efforts in this area? Um, so um, I think it was after um, maybe I don't know how many days or, or meetings we had had, and it, it became clear from a few, I would say, particular hedge fund meetings where Brian's ability to kind of walk them through the process of what they were trying to build suggested that there's just a greater demand for this than we had previously conceived. 
And as I heard Brian explaining to um, these these managers how to do what they were looking to do, I explained to Brian afterwards. Well, there are a lot of other clients that um, I have, you know, I've been serving for for a long period of time, and I think they would benefit from what you're talking about as well. So Brian went off and started um, building it pretty much on his own, and um, and I just thought it was cool, but he didn't require too much of my time. So I was like, knock yourself out. <laughs> and, um, and before you knew it, we actually had, um, something that actually was writing research and making stock predictions. And, um, and so it was, it was, it was great to start watching it evolve. Brian has to take entire credit for that though, because I, you know, I, you could waterboard me and I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you how to actually build something like era, but it was very fun to watch it progress and start to get clients involved in the development as well. And for now, Era is not a physical robot, right? No, it is not. <laughs> Maybe in the future. We'll see. So I guess a follow-up question to that one, and this is directed at you, Brian. Um, how does Era work exactly, and what sort of data sources does she use? And I guess I'm curious, how do we know she's a she? <laughs> well, I would say it's not a she. Um, that's something we, we sort of did at the beginning to try to give it some sort of a persona. We sort of moved away from that and trying to go more toward it's just an augmenting tool. How it works, um, so it sort of has a history behind that. So the original exercise was, um, could we use essentially the full breadth of the public web um, as it pertains to coverage around public equities to, to understand, A, where the market's going, and B, uh, be able to explain why it's going that way. And so the the, the way it works today is we, and, and still today, we are scraping the web. So we scrape sources, uh, about 9,000 sources ranging from Twitter. We essentially monitor the full funnel of Twitter and other social sources. We monitor news media, um, CNBC, Bloomberg, and so forth. We even monitor like financial blogs like Motley Fool. Um, we monitor um, authoritative publications, SEC, um, court filings, IR pages, um, and even video feeds. We transcribe video feeds to text and have the model consider them. Uh, and even international documents. We make monitor for language type, translate to English to make sure everything's sort of consumable by English uh, clients. And all these documents get scraped and aggregated into essentially a representation of the narrative over a specific period of time. So say I want to look back over the last week or the last month. Um, how is the narrative around any given company changing hour to hour or day to day? What topics are being discussed on Monday and how are they being discussed and in, in what context? And are they still being discussed on Tuesday and how is that, that discussion changed? Um, and so these, these graph representations of the public narrative get fed in as signals to our models to generate forecasts. Um, the basic thesis being the the drivers that are going to move the stock price in in the next week or the next month um, start to emerge in the narrative before the market's caught on at scale, and so we can sort of detect those changes and and make decent predictions over the next you know one to ninety days. Separate to that, because the most important piece for us is is can we explain the signals? We've built a series of workflows that try to understand what the model liked or didn't like in a given period and translate that into something human readable. So we have, um, I can go into a little bit of detail about the, the model architecture. So we have a, a, a sort of ensemble approach to trying to make these predictions. Um, at the center of our model is uh, two LSTMs that are responsible for doing universal triggers. What factors across the entire market or across all companies that seem to move the price? Um, 
and then we also have a constellation of supplemental models um, using mostly more classical uh, modeling techniques like Bayesian and random forest learners, um, but also others um, to suss out niche factors. Um, you know, markets are hard to model. So things that move the broader market still might have very different factors related to individual companies like Amazon or Google or groups of companies like Fang or individual categories. Um, and then this entire ensemble gets to vote and decide is there enough uh, corroborating signal across all of them to issue a forecast that we see something significant happening. Our second workflow interrogates those models to try to uh, it, uh, extract what signals were driving those forecasts. So what individual features or topics or sentiment changes or trends or other factors in that observation period were making the LSTMs or the supplemental models decide what to do. We use those to then generate the output research organized by topic explaining what was motivating that call. Interesting. So a question I guess for Ken, what investment horizon and type of investment manager is ERA best suited for? It's a good question. I think right now it varies pretty widely. I think that we have clients who are very long-term, fundamentally driven funds. I think from their standpoint, they view ERA as not so so much as part of their investment decision on the buy-sell-hold, but as part of their ability to understand underlying themes around companies that they care about, as well as as, as they look for certain criteria in stocks that they invest in. Um, maybe they have a more concentrated approach. Um, ERA helps them screen for companies that they should be looking at. Um, but on the flip side, there are certainly near-term investors who are looking for ERA's insight heading into a earnings report and um, and that are much more focused on the call itself um, as opposed to the explanation and the ability to, to essentially interrogate um, the unstructured web. So I, I think it varies. I think our bias is to speak more directly to the longer-term fundamental um, manager, and we've really made it um, a concerted effort to go in that direction. And I think the reason is, is that, you know, I think the, the fundamental manager is still very important to the investment process. And I think there's a lot of talk about active versus passive. And, you know, there's sort of a, it seems that there would be a, there's, there's almost an acceptance that, you know, trends will continue to move in a direction towards passive as opposed to active. And I think that's really a function of just the, the fact that, um, the passive has benefited disproportionately from the advances within data and compute that has come from the cloud and all the other areas that are sort of, you know, a part of what Brian is, is, is leveraging. Um, but it's important for the fundamental manager, given that they understand the companies, they've known the management teams for a long time, they understand how the customers think about the products that are being sold. Um, they really do have a good idea of what questions should be being asked of these companies that, you know, we want to make sure that that's still very central in the process with ERA and I know you asked the question about, you know, is ERA a she? And I think in the beginning, we did have some fun with thinking about what ERA could look like or would be as an analyst. Um, and I guess if we assigned a voice box to ERA, it, you know, it would probably be, be female. But um, I think that 
it's more important to think about how do you use these tools to enhance the fundamental analyst and make sure that they view it not as a competing personality, but as something something that can be customized to their particular needs. And so we offer it both as a base and as a premium product. And on the premium, the one thing that we ask is that the um, the the client name it something other than Era, because the 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 truth is is that the benefit of having the premium product is that they can overlay some of their own data sets, their own annotation. And um, as they provide these additional vectors into ERA, um, the output is not necessarily going to be the same. So they might have an AI um, analyst that is saying, buy this particular stock, whereas ERA is saying to, to hold it or maybe even to sell it, right? So those are the things that we have kind of learned to, to sort of navigate around um, in the time that we've been doing this. Um, so a follow-up question on the voice box. Um, if it was going to be a female voice box, I'm just curious why. I think because the name, Era, right? And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it ends in an A. So I think for me, it's more natural, you know, as, um, kind of a, you know, this would be a. The Alexei, the eras of the world. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that's, you know, people made jokes in the beginning that, um, you know, this is because of the um, the gender gap on Wall Street that all you know to to come out with a an AI analyst was a way of of trying to correct that. And it was funny, but you know, it's not not true. I think that you know at the same time, um, you know, we we have we've steered more towards era as a thing as opposed to um, as a t- as opposed to a gender. And I think that um, you know, but it, but it's it is a it is a fun newer process for us all to go to 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 go down. So a two-part question now for you, Brian. Can error eliminate human bias um, that's often found in investment decision-making? And which biases have you targeted, if any? So uh, eliminating human bias is probably, uh, I'd probably answer that in a two-part question. So, I mean, effectively, it should eliminate, it should help eliminate the bias in the investment manager trying to make decisions. Um but correspondingly and sort of paradoxically by revealing biases in the open market, which is effectively, I mean, broadly deep learning and machine learning's ultimate goal is just to understand what motivates a large body of data based on truth. So truth in this case being um, ticker performance. So what's motivating movement in the market? So being able to understand what correlates to that movement obviously helps the investment manager understand that what they think is driving movement may not be what's driving movement. So we can sort of try to find that middle ground. Um, but it also, you know, interestingly enough, often detects biases in the open market. So what factors are driving stocks that really aren't fundamentally valid? And, and you know, we, we had one particular um, client who, who sort of made that, that exact pitch of being able to challenge his own assumptions but then see if the the public perception of what's driving stocks is foundationally incorrect, you know, thinking that they're the forecast the retail world or the other, you know, uh, intermediate uh, investors are playing with is either wrong or 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 just slightly misunderstanding the the scope or impact of that data. A good example of that is Eras had a, a call on on Facebook that has been fairly negative at times, and um, and we got a little bit of heat from some of the press when Era first came out negative on Facebook, and um, and I think from that I was almost apologetic for the call because I was discounting some of the things Era was looking at, and feeling that Era wasn't looking quite as much at the valuation of Facebook, which you know you could make a, a you know a strong case for. 
um, the value of Instagram, which was still becoming better understood. Um, but Arrow was very focused on the election hacking, on the privacy concerns, um, on some of the just security and kind of safety and higher regulation around data privacy, et cetera, that was happening. And I think in the end, it certainly impacted um, the stock um, and impacted the guidance. Um, I don't, I think by more than probably Arrow was expecting, but I think that what it, it, what it did was it, it, it helped to show me that, you know, even though it's not as conventional the way we might be looking at the stock, it's important to be able to bring it into the, the, the bigger picture as far as how we're, we're trying to help clients and be able to give them a bit of a, a better assessment of what is likely to, you know, what is, what's the stock likely to look look like over the next you know three months not just over the next two years um, and what I found is you know as a fundamental analyst is that increasingly given how much data was being processed right and I think that how many you know clients even were taking advantage of that it became increasingly hard for a fundamental analyst without those data sets without those tools to be able to provide a, a nearer term picture on the stock um, and so, you know, using these kind of, you know, using a tool like Era, I think is really important for, for my process. And I think it's, you know, it's helpful to our, to our clients too. So speaking of your process, I mean, you've been a, an analyst for a long time. Has Era helped you uncover any of your own blind spots in terms of your work? Yeah, I think the Facebook was, was a good, was, was an example of that. But I would also say um, the, I, I cover China internet in addition to US internet. And Brian had mentioned that Part of the process is to um, language identify and then translate. Um, and as since the era is, is basically taking in thousands of, of sources through India and China, etc., it 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 gives era a, an ability to process information that would be very difficult for a U.S.-based analyst who doesn't speak the language and who is trying to be effective on those names. And so that, for me, proved to be a, a blind spot. And I think when we look at something like the Trump um, trade wars, um, just trade wars, um, that I discounted the importance of those in terms of how um, the Chinese Internet names were, would trade. And I think that there's an indirect um, effect and there's a there's a um, there's a sentiment effect that kind of comes from a lot of that and the rhetoric and um, and how folks will spend and the impact. So even though the names that I was following weren't necessarily directly affected by the trade, they were by the fact that their consumers of their platforms were affected. And so I think that's where um, ERA had had much better calls than I had had at that time. And so it sort of forces a reconciliation to say, you know, are you looking for the things that really do matter to how these stocks are going to perform over the, over the near to medium term? So you gave us the example of Facebook, but to, I guess the question to both of you, have there been any other curveballs along the way or any other wrong calls that could have caught you by surprise? Wrong calls on my part or wrong calls on Eris' on part? On Eris' part. Um, I think, yeah, there's certainly, the, 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 there's certainly wrong calls. I think that um, any, any that come, up, come to mind on, on, from your standpoint? I mean, None that were so egregious that it like sticks out in my brain. Um, obviously, even even at accuracy rates that we like to tout as impressive, it's still going to be wrong 20, 30, 35 percent of the time. So there's always incorrect calls. Um, I'm struggling to think of any that were notable. But I think that the the challenge isn't so much in the call itself. It's I would say that it's it's in the explanation. Sometimes error could even be right on the call. 
But when you read the explanation, you realize the the call took in a spurious signal, and that comes through in terms of the, the natural language processing and the fact that it's being you know written back to you. Um, and so that's where I would generally view a, we're more critical of the call as an analyst. You know, we always make you know bad calls, but and that's I think that there's a certain it's accepted to some extent. Um, but you you don't want to make bad calls that are not well explained. And similarly, you really don't even want to make good calls that are not well explained. So for us, the focus has always been more on the ability for ERA to be a good stock picker, not the best stock stock picker, um, but be able to explain the calls in language and kind of in, in a way that, you know, traditional fundamental analysts can, can relate to. Brian, a question for you. What parts of ERA need improvement and how do you see ERA evolving? I'd say um, user experience is a piece of it that we still want to consistently improve. Um, you know, one of the one of the things humans do exceptionally well is really tightly organizing information in a way that an investor really wants to read it. You know, so really nailing those thesis drivers that um, are, are most critical, um, rather than than overwhelming with data or or, or you know or, or putting it all out there for people to consume. We are down that path. I mean, that's ultimately ERA's mission is to try to con- is try to uh, condense and summarize forecasts in a in a concise way. But I think that's an area that's going to always need ongoing improvement. Um, and I think really tightening that is a, is a key focus for us in the future, as well as just broad user experience in terms of the the tooling and the access. Um, we want to be able to fulfill the needs of the investor in, in any way that they're that they need them, you know, and, you know, as Ken always uh, talks about, you know, having access to errors predictions when you're out on the road or, or when you're with clients or, or when you're with your, your, your managers and, and having access to it through multi-channel and different ways to get that information is sort of a key that we have to keep expanding on and building the product. And I think too, just um, the ability to annotate and, you know, indicate what, what signals are viewed as spurious or even direct era to focus on themes that an analyst or client thinks are important to that particular stock. Um, making that a bit more, you know, effortless, I think is an important part of what we're doing. Um, we still want very much for the analyst questions to be front and center. So their ability to interrogate era through the dashboard and ask questions about the market and questions about the consumer, um, things that they feel matter to the stock. Uh, that's an important part of the development as well. You started with an institutional buy-side service. Um, how do you think machine learning can help with wealth management or with financial advisors? Well, I think that it's it, 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 it in some ways um, the ability to offer era within that within that area. I would say is in some ways um, probably closer to being ready than. Um, the not um, the 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 decision to focus more on institutional investors early on though reflects you know, where our our client base has been um, and is and I think where most of our best relationships are and I think that it also stresses era a bit more around um, the types of data sets that can be overlaid and the learnings that will come from that. Um, as well as provides um, a heavier level of annotation into ERA and insight that I think can 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 benefit all um, all users of the platform. So the, so we really had to do more with the feedback loop 
and more from an R&D focus in the beginning and trying to find kind of the best product market fit. But I would say that, you know, the ability to offer ERA and its research product and its written signals, et cetera, as a base level for, um, for wealth managers. And I think it's, 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 it's there today. So I guess final question, if, if I'm an equity research analyst, should I be worried? And I'll, I guess I'll ask you, Ken, have you succeeded in creating your own autonomous replacement or is ERA really just an enhancement rather than a replacement? Definitely enhancement. Um, and I think that there's things that I can teach ERA and there's things that ERA can teach me. And I think it's important for equity research analysts to start getting comfortable with that idea that they're going to be working alongside of machines or working alongside folks like Brian um, in the coming years. Um, and I, I think that, um, but but as I as I look at the industry and you ask the question, should um, equity research analysts be scared? I don't think so. I think that there's there's very much going to be a need for smart people and people who understand companies, who understand consumers, markets, and that there's there's a there's to some extent. Um, a blind spot in that area for AI. But where a lot of the market I think is wrong is they talk about it in terms of either or, you know, man versus machine. And it really has to be um, a combination of the two to get a better result. Um, and I think ultimately for fundamental managers to stay a part of the process. Um, as we look out over the next 10 you know, years or maybe less, maybe the next several years, I think um, for folks who are looking at building their career, in this industry, I think it'd be very important for them to focus on this question on how can they leverage what they do in a way that ultimately gives them control over a lot of this computing and data process, resources that are now available um, as opposed to competing against it. And so that's something that's important for us to have. Um, you know, we have a lot of conversations with clients about that. Um, and I would say that for folks who are on the more traditional platforms, the, one of the things that I've learned is that given how ERA um, collects information and ultimately processes this information through you know, neural classifiers and regressors and explains itself through probabilistic explanations, et cetera, um, it's not as conducive to platforms where there exists a level of conflict in terms of how um, fees get collected. So, you know, cash equities, investment banking, um, those tend to be things where, you know, there's required disclosure around ownership and activities within the firm. And everything that gets kind of tied to inputs into advice needs to be clearly spelled out. And um, what's what's problem, problem, uh, problematic about um neural nets generally is that they are very difficult to interrogate. So what Brian has been able to do is get closer to that uh, that ability, but it's something that, you know, will take some time. And I think that um, a model like ours, providing research like ours, is more suited than some of the traditional models that might seek to do so. And sort of as a technical expansion to some degree too, I, you know, even beyond just errors focus, but broadly from an energy point of view, I'm a big believer that uh, AI is much, much more likely to be a human augmenting technology over the next few years than a replacement technology. There's obviously exceptions. Some tasks and processes are highly suited for automation. 
Um, but in general, humans are, as, as Ken alluded to, just better at creative processing and and dynamic thinking and working in sparse envi- sparse data environments and leaping to uh, assumptions and then testing them. Um, then the machinery is now obviously tech's always improving. Maybe we'll be developing neural neural nets that are more creative uh, and better in sparse environments in the future. But for the foreseeable future, that's where the sweet spot lies for efficiency improvements and performance improvements is just making humans work faster, smarter, better. Well, it's been very interesting learning about ERA. Thank you both for joining us for this episode of Take 15. And thank you also to our listeners. If you'd like to subscribe, you can now find us at iHeartRadio, in addition to iTunes and the CFA Institute member app. Thank you for listening. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.